Welcome to another week of Instigating with Clarkie and Jury. No jury this week, so I am on my own. And of course, Instigating is brought to you by Larry Hudson, Chevrolet Buick GMC in Listowel and the Listowel Squash Courts. Today, I wanted to do a little reminiscing and go back into where I was, where I started in the media world, back at the Fan 590 or Fan 1430 for all that matters. Uh, and I have three producers that I worked with and maybe hired. I can't remember. I don't have a good memory, but um, Rob Pizzo, who's now with CBC Sports, joins us. Josh Rimmer, who just does everything you could possibly ask right about now. And also Mike Gentili, who's uh, still with the fan or back with the fan. Mike with the fan. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome, guys. And Mike, let's start with you. I think we go back the furthest. Um, when did you start at the fan? Do you remember? And what was the role when you started? Okay. So it was straight out of Humber College. It was an internship, but you had to apply for it and win the scholarship. There was two students that got it. And so I remember it was around 1998, I think. Mm. Goes way, way back. And what was funny was School ends around, what, like May, April, May, the, mm -hmm. the school year, right? So this was a two-day-a-week internship that was supposed to start in September. And I remember going to meet you, and I asked, well, can I start, like, now, like, early? And then could I go, like, more than two days a week? <laughs> so I started going between four and five days a week. And what I was known for back then was, it's kind of embarrassing now, is I brought, I was like, Kramer, I had a briefcase. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember that. I can picture it. I can picture it. I took my dad's old briefcase. Now, what did yeah. I have in there? Uh, a calculator <laughs> for no reason and a binder, some paper. So when I, so that was 98. So I'm, I'm showing up every single day. And I remember at one point they put a note, maybe it was you, Chris. They put a note in the kitchen like, hey, congratulations. So-and-so was signed on part-time. So I'd have lunch with the same people every day. And they were like, you don't work here? Like, what's this sign? And I'm like, no, I just signed on. They're like, but you carry a briefcase. <laughs> that is awesome. And so, did you, sorry, keep going. Yeah. So I was an intern under you. And I, I remember I was uh, screening calls at night. And I remember mm -hmm. you said, you said the, one of the first things you said was, yeah, you'll be producing, but uh, we use that word a little loosely around here. <laughs> it was just answering phone calls. Yeah. For Storman or who, for who? Do you remember? Norm Rumack. Okay. Norm yeah. Rumack. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was just work on any show you can. Mm -hmm. Just sit in and it's so different than it is now because it was just like, just go in there and just listen. Watch, listen. Without anyone telling you anything, you'll learn a lot mm -hmm. just by being in the room. And as I'm sure Pizzo and Rimmer will attest, the one hub of that entire radio station in the heyday, the one centralized part of that station with the one centralized person was Gord Stelic and the big show. Hmm. Everything flowed through that show. If you were an intern, if you were new, if you're a producer on another show, you ended up on the G Games or you ended up doing something fun. And Gord is one of these guys, most people in the business, they kind of talk down to or they don't give enough attention, let's say, to the part-timers, the interns, and they just want to worry about their bosses. Gord was like the opposite. Mm -hmm. Gord would talk to an intern with as much interest as the general manager of the place, probably mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. He was very well, and he, he's still that way now. And so all of us here, and, and, and I see the guys nodding their heads, it all kind of went through that show. And so that was it. You just basically sit in. And you just get ready for someone to go on vacation. And maybe you're going to get called in to try to produce for a week or something. And then you just wait for your shot. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're right. Gord is still the same. He, he's such a great human being. There's no question about it. And uh, Pisa, when did you start? Uh, not long after Mike. I would say yeah. it was 2002. But okay. very, very similar story. I went to Niagara College, and they had the same thing. They had this thing called the Fan Five. Wait a minute, I didn't hire a Humber student. Someone else must have brought you in. You weren't. No, actually, you 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 were you had just left. Oh, you had just okay. left. You and okay. I, if you remember, worked together on the Junior Hockey Magazine. Yes, for you, sure. You so that was in the nineties, though, right? The Junior Hockey Show. No, no, no. That no? was oh, I started okay. there in two thousand two, oh. so it couldn't have been right. Uh, so yeah. you left, but you were still working on Oh, that but I was still doing yeah. junior hockey. Okay, got it. Pizza was under See, that's why I got you guys. I was going to say, exactly. So I, same thing. We had a thing called the Fan 590 Award. And when I started school, that was my goal. I'm winning this thing. That's all nice. I want. Okay. Um, 
and they gave me a, a scholarship, uh, the $3,000, I think it was to pay for my last yeah. year's tuition. Wow. And then it was uh, a three month internship. Now, unlike Mike, they told me you're in 40 hours a week, you're in every single day. Mm-hmm. So I did. And I remember working with Dan Dunleavy and Barb DiGiulio and Ann with Stanley and, and all these people. And I was basically, you know, told whatever they need, get for them. Um, and after three months, they said, well, today's your last day. And I remember going into Scott Metcalf's office and I said, you know, can I have a job? Like, can I please stay? <laughs> and he said, I'm sorry, Rob, we, we've got nothing for you. And I said, thanks for coming in and this and that. And I said, okay. I remember going home to my, my parents' house in Guelph, Ontario, kind of depressed thinking, oh, I was really hoping this would lead to a job. I was unemployed for one full day. Hmm. And then Scott Metcalf called me and God bless the people I worked with, the Dan Don Levy's and the Ann Stanley's and the Barbara Julio's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean this to sound arrogant or cocky or whatever, but they said, where the hell's Pizzo? Oh, he's done. No, get him back. Nice. So <laughs> they they stood up for me and and basically uh, Scott had said, okay, well, we'll make some work for you. Can you cut leaf highlights? I said, yep, because as long as they're in the playoffs, you're working. And it was exactly what Mike said. After that, it was, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? And, you know, the best piece of advice you can give anyone when you're starting at a job like that is just never say no. It doesn't matter what the hell it is. Just say yes, because you want your face there. You want those people to say, you know, I don't want him to leave. And that's and then I ended up staying for for a long, long time. Yeah, for sure. And Rimmer, now, before you get into your fan days, as Rob just said, you can't say no. Can you list off the jobs you do right now for me? Okay, so I work full-time for TELUS uh, in sales. Uh, I work every Super Bowl with the Wounded Warrior MT football team and Snoop Dogg and work uh, Radio Row every year at the Super Bowl. Uh, I work with Sean Merriman, the uh, former linebacker with the San Diego Chargers, promoting his MMA league, Lights Out, Extreme Fighting. Uh, I line up guys for autograph signings with AJ Sports World, I also line up guys for autograph signings in the States for a different company. Um, what else do I do? I help out Bonnie Jo Laughlin, the first female NBA scout with her book, uh, getting uh, uh, women uh, who were first in their sport, like Danica Patrick, Manal Rayom, uh, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, just setting up interviews for her so she could transcribe it and put it in her book. That comes out in a couple months. Um, what else do I got? That's a pretty good uh, list. Yeah. He's got a food truck. He's a, he has a food yeah. truck. You have a food truck? Wait a minute. I yeah. didn't know about the food truck. That was new. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Too. I'm part Jamaican, by the way. Always <laughs> yeah. always, so. no. um, What's the food truck? I don't have a food truck. Oh, you don't? <laughs> <laughs> See, you sucked me right in. I fell for it, too. I'm like, I don't I'm have like, time what? for that. <laughs> I don't have I time. I remember in my taxes. I gotta say. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh. Okay, so I'm gonna do my taxes. Yeah. Um, when did you start at the fan? So I started, uh, I believe it was uh, July or August of 2001. And the only reason why I know it was 2001, because it was a couple months later when I was walking into work and one of the planes hit the towers. Mm. So that was uh, September, obviously, September 2001. And that was the day when the fan turned into a news station for three days, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, not three days. It was an entire week. Was it the full week? We did the full week. We didn't go back to regular programming until the the following Monday. Oh wow! So that would I think it was a Tuesday morning, and we did the entire week as news. Holy, yeah. So I was there from two thousand one till two thousand five. But probably one of my, if we're talking about favorite moments. Uh, was probably when I booked Warren Spawn for Mike Hogan. That was uh, one thing I'll never forget. Mm. I don't know if you guys remember or not, but don't tell us how it happened, well, how it come about. Well, uh, Hoagie, as you remember, he always wanted to get the biggest guys on his show all the time, and it did ruffle some feathers with other. Everybody with other did. Let's be honest. Everybody <laughs> did. But the, uh, the big, the big board, the big board with names on board. it would always cause a lot of fights. And yeah, I'm sure, we'll explain but, that in a bit. But yeah. He wanted Warren Spawn on his show. I called him. I got him on. And at that point, Warren, I think, was in his 80s, maybe even 90s. Hmm. And it was him and Gino Retta. Uh, not sorry, not Gino Retta. Uh, oh man, who's the guy that did cur- that did curling? I think he still does curling for TSN. Vic Router. Thank you, Vic Router. 
it was Vic Router and Mike Hogan interviewing Warren Spahn, and they were asking him questions. Every time uh, uh, Router asked her a question, there was no problem. But when Mike asked him a question, why are you picking my brain? Like he was, he was getting all upset and Mike got really emotional during the interview because this was a guy that, you know, was one of his favorite players growing up and he would just didn't know what to ask him. And he's throwing his hands up in the air. It was probably one of the greatest memories because it was, it was the most uncomfortable interview ever. Mm -hmm. Do you think he was the biggest guest, biggest name you got on? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you had a pretty good Rolodex yourself. Rolling it. Yeah. There's an old term for um, it. No, I was going to say, date yourself a bit there, Clarky. <laughs> yeah, Rolodex. <laughs> I remember Clarky's Rolodex on his desk. I do remember that. <laughs> you had it right by your computer. Um, yeah, you know, stole that, all the names. I know. It's okay. Yeah, the <laughs> fan, that probably wasn't the biggest one. Uh, probably Hugh Hefner. Maybe hmm. was uh, when Hoagie interviewed him in the uh, at the new fan studios. It was a like a recording studio outside the main studio. And I remember we recorded Hugh. Um, that was probably maybe the biggest name. Um, yeah. And what was the, that. what was the story? Why'd you have him on? Well, uh, Hoagie just wanted to get, you know, everybody on. Well, he, he did have a valid case with him because he talked about all the sports athletes that used to go to Hugh's parties. Mm -hmm. That's what he wanted to talk about. He wanted to talk about Muhammad Ali and, Jim Brown and, you know, you name it, Will Chamberlain would show up to Hughes parties all the time. So he was kind of talking about that. And he wanted to talk to him about jazz because I guess Hoagie was a big jazz guy, too. Mm -hmm. So it's I'm confused because didn't we work together at the fan? Yeah. Well, I la I was gone by 2001. I was right. at Leafs TV at 2001. We so were at 40 Holly. I think you were there maybe six yeah. or seven months while I was there. Okay. okay. And then we worked so, together at Leaf TV. So you must, so I left I left in August of 2001. So you you and I must have just Yeah, that's when I left because Leaf so TV started in 2001. So you might have your ears off. Anyway, no, it I moved in, Oh, you know what? Sorry. April 2001. I moved to Toronto April okay. 2001. Okay. So yeah, so we did work together for like 4 months. There you go. Pizzo, what's we Leaf TV? Some of the big name guests you got on the air. You remember them and uh, circumstances not, around it? Really jumped around. I always mm -hmm. just loved getting people, and this is one of the things you know. We talked about the competition that that kind of just evolved with the shows. And just to let people know, if they didn't know, at the fan there was a big whiteboard with all the shows on it, and our system was: if you're chasing someone, you put the name in black. Once you get them, you put the name in blue. Um, and but as there is with every show, there are certain shows that are going to get the premium guests. Bob McCowan was going to get the big guests. So if suddenly your host comes and says, I want this person, but Bob McCowan wanted them, that's where some of the friction would come along. Mm -hmm. As far as what I really liked, and and I want to be real clear here, because I know a lot of people, you, you introduced me as a producer. I was a producer because I was trying my ass off to get on the air. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, but I took a producer job just to get my foot in the door, but it was a great learning experience for being on the other side. Uh, I loved when there was a trade or breaking news and that competition went out the window. Yeah. And if something happened, and then Gentilly would call me like, hey, I got his number, here it is. Ba 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 And we'd call and they'd get them on the air. To me, that's where the kind of teamwork of everybody, of getting, who cares what show they're on. This person needs to get on the air. Here's his number, call him. That was a lot of fun. I do remember one quick story about a guest though. I used to produce the uh, the Blue Jays, uh, you know, post-game show with Mike Wilner. And when we got to the playoffs, we used to do a thing called the Blue Jay a day. And a Blue Jay would come on for an hour and take calls. And it was all set up through the team and, and everything. And one day we were supposed to have Vernon Wells on. And I'm calling Vernon Wells' number. No answer. No answer. And, and of course, Mike's starting to kill time on the air. And as a producer, we all know this. You feel the sweat coming out of your, your, your head. <laughs> And finally, somebody says, I've got his home number. So I call his home number and a woman picks up and I said, can I speak to Vernon? And she was at first a little bit cold. She said, well, well, who's this? And I said, well, it's Rob Pizzo calling from Blue Jays Radio Network. And she goes, well, did you set up this interview? I'm like, yeah, it was set up weeks in advance. As soon as I said it was set up, she mm. was on my team. Mm. Suddenly she goes, don't you worry, give me your number. And I said, okay, <laughs> hang up the phone. 
Two minutes later, Vernon Wells calls. I go, hello, Blue Jays Radio Network. He's like, you just got me in trouble with my wife. Let's do this thing. <laughs> so oh, went, no. Okay. So I guess she called him and said, if you set up an interview, be there. You know, yeah, yeah. like yeah. the second she had said, I told her we had set this up. She was on my team. She called him. I guess she she got mad at him and we had Vernon Wells for the next hour. So that's there one of the, the, the guest stories that always, always sticks in my head. Gentilly, big name. Yeah, I mean, you've been around a long time now. You're you're sure. a vet. You're a veteran in this business now. I bet Gentilly still business. remembers the numbers. There's no one on planet Earth that guys, remembers phone numbers like Mike Gentilly. Before you do that, Mike, do you guys remember? Like I you're remember bang on with, like, the, the Todd Hayes days and the and the Todd Macklin days. We used to sit around and quiz each other on area codes. Now nowadays, I'm sure. <sighs> I mean, I know there's so much more. Did you guys ever do that? Like six one three. I Ottawa, did five one four. I used, to, I used to know this like crazy. Like yeah, oh, yeah. Man. That was that was a fun thing. When, Vancouver, I would see Mike dial phone numbers without without looking. He would just you know I I you were like a savant <laughs> with phone numbers. I remember thinking I cannot do that. And you'd be talking to me, and I'd see your right hand just dialing away at somebody's number. Like <laughs> nowadays, we just ask Siri, "Hey, call mom." But no, Mike had it all just in his head. I remember like the Leafs and Raptors coaches office lines for years was the same line. So we'd book a guest and be like, okay, you're going to have so-and-so on. I'm like, okay, I'll call them. Oh, they need the number. No, no, I got it. But I've been calling <laughs> you forever. Yeah. I would say for me, it's less about big names, more about timing. So I'll give you like bigger names. Like I remember during like the lockout, we got like Batman to get really close with the show. So Batman daily, we had Batman in studio, Bob Goodnow in studio. We had Gretzky the day of, uh, the lost season. So that was, uh, I mean, it was negative, which is too bad. So that was kind of cool. But Batman had not been on the fan for a long time. He didn't like Bob, but I didn't like him. It was a, a lot of behind the scenes building up a relationship between the station and the PR people. And finally showing, you know, I mean, they realized once the show was on TV, they realized it was a big audience. And so they went for it. Mm -hmm. But one, one that sticks out, it's less of a big name. It was a big name at the time. Getting uh, Jamie Soleil and David Peltier on the day after they got screwed by the judges. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the Olympics, we'd get the attaches number. We'd have like a like a spreadsheet with every sport and who the PR mm -hmm. person. So we would just hound these people constantly <laughs> to try to get them on. And it was just a lot of perseverance. And then they realized this was such a big story. Like, I think they did us. And then they were like on CNN. It was crazy. <laughs> but, but getting them on the day, like right after they got screwed, before they got their gold given back, it was wild because there was a lot of phone calls. They finally agreed. And we didn't know when it was happening. They just mm -hmm. said they're going to call between 4 and 530 or something like that. So we had to make all these plans like, what happens if they call and there's two minutes left in the segment? What do we do with the commercial? What if they call during the commercial? Do we tape it and then run it after? We had, like, four different scenarios. I'll never forget. It was, like, 4.50 or something. It was the weirdest time, and we just went to it, and we just we just went with it live. The other mm. one, one more, if I could just share one more, just because they're all Yeah, we got lots of time. Because this was my idol. I never thought I'd book him, but I ended up booking Patrick Waugh mm. for Bob. But what happened was... The PR guy, you guys remember this name, Jean Martineau, yeah. would always kind of insult you when you tried to ask for someone, mm -hmm. right? So Patrick, I think he won his 500th game. There was some kind of reason. And he's like, wait a minute. You want me to book for you the winningest goalie in the NHL? <laughs> you want me to get him to call your show? Like, almost like, you are you an idiot? So I just put the request out, and he never confirmed. Mm. I'm like, it's not happening. We're sitting there during the break, right before the five o'clock hour, and the phone rings. Hello? And it's like, hello, this is Patrick Wah. And I look down, I recognize the area code, right? I believe it's 303 or 313. 313 is Detroit. 303 is Colorado. It was definitely him. And I buzzed into Bob. I'm like, we have Patrick Wah. He's like, when? I go, now. He's he's on the line. I was like, put him on. Because you don't start to end <laughs> uh -huh, off he uh -huh. went. But I guess he had given him the number, but he never like like PR never confirmed. So yeah. I just figured we had no chance. But he must have given him the number, and he he called. It was crazy. But that was my favorite athlete growing up. So I had mm -hmm, no mm -hmm. idea when the phone rang it was going to be him because I was given no lead in that it would be him. By the way, Pizzo, you know the board you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Do you guys know the board still exists? 
But the board now, so. right? But the board now is online. So it's a uh, Google uh, Doc. Uh, uh. So you, you log in and same thing. You type in the name in black. And when your guest is confirmed, you switch it to blue. And it's the same old thing. That's People no fun, putting, though. I used no. to love seeing someone go up to the board with the blue oh, marker yeah. and be like, oh, who did you get? You know, right? <laughs> yeah. oh, gets, who, and you'd see yes. the name and I would go, oh, wow, you you're, got so-and-so? That's fantastic. Right. Dude, that's yeah. what that you would have when yeah. you picked up that blue marker and just... <laughs> or the other way around when you had to erase a name you're just like you erase the name out of black and you go ah oh, shit he's or if a guest are we allowed to swear on the show oh yeah yeah that's fine all right cool yeah if, yeah. if a guest stiffs you either erase it or if you're really mad at the guest you wouldn't erase it but you just put a line through the name yeah yeah and, and i'm sure there was some producers rimmer i'm not saying what you were one of them but there's probably some producers who would just write names on there just to just to screw with you guys right um like, I mean, I, I wouldn't write names on there as well. Hogan would, you know, Hogan would ask for the moon. And a lot of the guys that I'd be writing on the board would be like guys that are like impossible to get. So. <laughs> Remember, I, I was a producer for Chuck Swarsky. Don't talk to me about requesting oh, guys that you can't, you can't get. That's uh, I mean, for you. I had I yeah. I had swears before you and then I left for that's TSN right. And, that's but, right. But guys like that, guys like that who have friends in the industry they must have helped you guys right like helped with phone with phone numbers or whatever did they not who the hosts of the show yeah like if swirsky said get this guy on wouldn't they help you with a number or would they just say get him no i mean swirsky never gave me a phone number except for maybe hmm. uh uh his color analyst now in chicago that was probably the only one um normally i would hmm. call uh from because I worked at Fox before uh, Fox Sports before I came to the fan in L.A. And I'd call them a lot of times for phone numbers if I didn't have them. Hmm. That's interesting. But the hosts would never like Hoagie never gave me a number. Look, no, you well, got, you but gotta, some you guys wouldn't think have about the host them, right? too. Yeah, you got to think sure. that the host is, is only they want to improve the show. So you can't necessarily yeah, always right. get angry. They, they want the best guest. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes I'd wake up to a list of people and kind of think, Okay, it's it's nine o'clock. If we want Michael Jordan on, this ain't gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like it's just <laughs> there's just, a process that yeah. goes through this, and you know, a lot of hosts never really have done the producing thing, and they don't realize right. even if they do. You know, I remember it not just with Swartz, with other people as well. They'd say, "Well, do you have a cell phone number?" And I'd say, "Yes." We'll call them. Well, hold on a second, because and what people don't understand is we use those cell phone numbers in case of emergency. They just got traded. They just got, mm-hmm. you know, they just retired. They did something like that. If you constantly go right to the athlete, the PR director for the team is never going to help your, you or right. your station again. Like you, people, people don't necessarily understand that, that we mm. may have someone's cell phone number or their home number, but we can't just right. call it yeah. at will. It doesn't and, work that way. And cell phone numbers are like, I, I had a source. I'm sure you guys all have a source, right? Like I, and the funny thing is like, when Jack Armstrong was applying for the role as the color commentator, his list of references was like a goldmine for basketball phone numbers, um, which I probably still have in my phone to this day. But but we all have sources, right? We all have guys maybe in the league office with, with a team um, that we know we can rely on for a number. At least I did. I, I was lucky. I think I was lucky. <laughs> Mine was Gentilly. Gentilly, <laughs> <laughs> though, has it changed a lot now with trying to get a hold of people? Do you still go through the PR guys a lot? Probably, maybe in in Toronto, you do for Toronto teams just because mm-hmm. of the way the, you know, the what's the word I'm looking for the uh, the right way since you're owned by you own yeah. the teams as well. The right protocols, the word I was looking right. for. But other teams, do you just reached out to them on social media sometimes? How is it done now? It's easier. So it's funny. I've been thinking about this today. Is it easier now Mm -hmm. than it used to be to book guests? And Mm -hmm. the answer is yes and no. Mm. It's easier to reach people because you could find them direct. You could find them on their social media. A lot of times they'll have the DMs open, which is like the greatest thing as a producer. If you go on Twitter and -hmm. the person you want has that little white envelope, it's just like the parting of the sea. (laughs) Uh, Instagram's a good one. There's like back doorways on Facebook to go in and see where it was registered and you try to find an email. So getting two people is easier, but getting them to say yes is harder because 
how they see the value in it. You know what I mean? There's so many mm-hmm. shows and mm-hmm. podcasts and yeah. bloggers and so many people calling. And then they know if I say yes to one interview, I'm going to have to do 20 of these. So it's a lot trickier now. You still have to go through the right channels when you can. But like, for example, we're talking about, Pease was mentioned about the, uh, the cell number. So I got a number for Mike Weir a couple weeks ago. I got him on. But after I messaged him, he didn't write me back. I got a message from someone else saying, hi, this is George. I'm Mike Weir's agent. I hear you're looking for him. So he clearly passed it on. He wasn't mad. He did the interview, but he wasn't going to do it himself. Mm. So, yeah, the protocol with teams, it's harder to book. Like in Toronto, it's hard. Yeah, tell me Mm -hmm. why. Toronto's hard because you got two stations now. So if the fan's going to get... Nick mm-hmm. Nurse, then then TSN's got to get Nick Nurse. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be just one station with one show calling. Now it's just like yeah. it's TSN, it's the fan, it's radio, but then it's TV, and then there's a. But pop- Bell doesn't own the Jays. Do you have an advantage there? With the Jays, yeah. You know what? You know what's weird? It used to be that way before. Like it's funny when I was at TSN, mm-hmm. I, I would look over and be like, "Man, the fan is kicking our ass." Like they they get anyone they want from the Jays. It's gone a little bit tighter with the Blue Jays. And I think a lot of people assume if you work at the Fan or Sportsnet, you get kind of carte blanche. They're sometimes uh, as tough because they don't want to appear as like the Homer side of whether it's the team or whether it's the broadcaster. So a lot of the guys that cover the Jays for us, they have to work as hard or harder than the beat guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I think we were spoiled too, though. Like when, when back in the day, Mike, we used to go through Jay Stenhouse, and I don't think he, the guy ever said no. Whenever you called him and asked him, you wanted a player on the radio. Well, I, I but just think about how many people were calling him. And yeah. if it's now it's like it's us. There's the Star Paper, but then there's the Toronto Star uh, podcast, and then there's the Wilner podcast, and then there's the Athletic is calling. It's just there's mm-hmm. it's so saturated now. So it's very, it's much harder. So to go back to what you guys were saying earlier. Now, Mike, before yeah. you, I just want to yeah. interrupt you. Do you deal with um, uh, Rodney Heemster at all? Yes. With the Jays? So Rodney's a listable guy. So next time you talk to Rodney, you just say, Clark, he told you, you know, this is going to be heard and listable. So you get him on. It's funny saying say Rodney this. and I play squash a lot. Rodney is one of my favorite people in the business. He's, this guy's he, incredible. Have you ever heard his story about raising rodents? No. Ask him. Okay, I'm going to ask him. Ask we do him about raising rodents. You'll wonder where you got that from. And he was great. Like last yeah. year, you're kind of nervous. You don't want to go in. So we're doing our show there. You don't want to get in the way. There's so many other media there. So you don't want to bother mm-hmm. anyone. Mm-hmm. So we go through them, the you know, like the JSPR. And then at one point, Rodney's like, listen, if you want Romano or you want so-and-so, just, just go up and ask them. Like kind of mm-hmm. gave us the go-ahead to do it. Mm-hmm. And then we would go. And uh, usually they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was um this you know you know it's funny rimmer brought that name up because a lot of times if there's if someone really good you will never forget that pr person's name mm-hmm. or i don't I, I don't remember any of them you know really like, bad, like, agree you know what i mean yeah well no if you know I what told, Pat park was good in my books like, like jim labombard jim labombard yeah yeah he's oh, going back uh gosh who was the first pr guy for the raptors uh he went to vancouver can't think of his name right now but he was really good too Anyway, Pizzo, I interrupted you there. No, I'm just saying Mike's right. I mean, and it's all about relationships. Like you obviously don't want to go to the same well over and over Mm -hmm. again. And that's why sometimes, you know, when we talk about different hosts who are constantly like, give me someone from this team, give me someone from this team. And all I keep thinking as a producer is, geez, I've already emailed this person 27 times this week. Like I can't ask for a 28. You know what I mean? It's it's so, and, and Mike's right though. Like I, you know, a lot of times now, these people just get so just inundated with interview requests because it's so damn easy. It's so you just go to their Instagram mm-hmm. and you send them a DM and, you know, and you'll see red, like they read it, you know, they read it. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad, but it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not doing the job. I think it'd be much harder today. Like Mike said, only because you got to convince them before. So guess, yeah. It, w- it wouldn't be as tough to convince. I think. Yeah. Yes, and, and sorry, get, one, getting guests uh, one aside, Mike. I was going to say, getting guests aside, is it easier or harder now? You're still producing primetime, right? Is well, that what it's called? Uh, yeah, it's called the fan drive time. Okay. Um, what's harder now is there's one thing that's been introduced now that we didn't have to deal with in the past, and that is ghosting. So, mm-hmm. as a producer, when you reach out to someone, 
It's all about they can get back to you in 10 seconds. They can get back to you in 10 days. Like, you just don't know. So people, like you, like a show could be booked in a minute. It could, it could drag on for hours. Mm-hmm. Ghosting and people not getting back, it's weird because they'll respond. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh, what time are you thinking? It'll be like, oh, we could do 5.30 or 6. It'll be like noon, and then it'll be 4 o'clock, and you haven't heard nothing. Mm-hmm. So the ghosting part of society has gone into producing as well, and it's tricky because you've got to move yeah. on. You know, and the, and what's hard is kind of to what Rob was saying is sometimes you just have to lie. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I got a ton of lies. You have to lie because you're right. If someone's you like, do. hey, let's this team gave us someone. Let's let's call them again. You know yourself. You're like, if I call them again, they're going to get mm-hmm. so pissed off. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you'll say, yeah, I called them. He couldn't do it. Like, I'll just I've made it up many times. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Couldn't. I'll give you one one good lie story, though. So. Bob McCowan would come in 345, shows on at four. The worst thing that can happen is if you have a guest cancel right before four o'clock. Because now you're handing a sheet with like an empty name or a blank or an unconfirmed. So then the TBD. whole show TBD. <laughs> that was my most that was the guest I booked the most. TBD was my most booked guest. So you don't want to <laughs> piss them off before a show starts. So what I would do is I would not tell him the guest canceled till after the first segment was over. Mm. So he would go on. He would even and promote it. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sitting there knowing oh, he's not coming on. <laughs> and I would, like, oh, so it's going to be on at six o'clock to talk about whatever. And I'm like, uh, no, he's not. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. So, so anyway, I would wait, let him do the first segment and then be like, Hey, by the way, uh, yeah, so-and-so just canceled now, but it's okay. Cause then I always make sure I had the backup ready. Because if you say this person's not on, they say well, who's on. You can't say well, I don't know. So yeah. I would say so and so's canceled. They've been replaced with this person. Like oh great, okay, that's fine. But one time, I got burned because I thought he just does a quick little promo. He did his whole first block on this one guest and this one segment we were doing. Uh... He sold it so good that I was like, man, I really wish they were on. So I waited longer than normal. Tell him they're not on. He's on the road and his cell phone died. I had to just come up with some like BS story. But yeah, we have to be really good liars. You do. And and like one of the things I remember is McCowan always insisted that I get the number. Never rely on the guest to call you, right? Oh, yeah. So many times where he would say, you have his number? And I go, yeah, I got his number. He's just not answering. I, uh, no, and then I that turned into Jadili, new rule, no more cell phones. <laughs> right. I, oh, I heard Man that too. Line phone. I heard that I'd in 89. Like, no so then we'd have a guest <laughs> on, and the guy would be like, <laughs> and the Bob would be like, is he on? A, I'm like, he's like, he's on a cell phone. I'm like, nope, landline. That's <laughs> his bad. office line. Just a bad one. Yeah. Hey, can I tell one quick embarrassing story about a, a forgotten guest booking? Of course. In studio. So we do the first. Hold hour. on, hold on, hold on. Can I just yeah. guess? Is this the Please. pinball story? Is this the pinball story? Same, same team, same team. Oh, that uh, was a pinball. It was okay. So check this out. So Bob does the first hour of calls. At four forty-five, he goes down for a smoke. Right. He pre-tapes a business report. I'm in the hallway. I see him leave, and then out of the other eye, I see Adam Rita from the Argos and Beth Waldman, the Argos PR person. Standing Another in the hallway, person. yeah, standing in the hallway right in front of the producer's office. And I was like, oh, shit, that was today. And it was an in-studio <laughs> chat. Bob's now having a smoke. Oh, no. He has no idea Adam Reed is on. Adam Reed and the Argos don't know. And I can't go to them and say, guys, I forgot. And I can't go to Bob and say, I forgot. So I was like running around like Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas. <laughs> You know what I mean? Hey, Pizzo? Oh, I very much know, yeah. So I'm like, okay, uh, run down the hall. Hey, guys, how you doing? Okay. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Yeah, Bob just went for smoke. He'll be right back. Just hang here for a bit. I'll come get you when we're ready. So I I, I had to make sure they they didn't talk until the segment started. So I run down. I catch Bob in a smoke break coming off the elevator. So I'm like, hey, Bob. I'm like, man, you never believe who I just ran into. They're in the building. He's like, who? I said, Adam Reed is here. I just ran into him. He's like, oh, you should see if he'll do the show. I'm like, that's a great idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> Run back. And then I made sure they didn't talk until the bumper music was playing. So 
like this never happens. You always bring in the guest before. Yeah. But if I bring the guest in, they're gonna say they're like, gonna chat. Oh yeah, we were planned. Like we. So I literally waited. I'm in the producer's <laughs> office. I hear the music playing. I'm like, okay, guys, let's go. Bring him in. The music is now started. There's, he's live. In they go. There's a great interview. No one, no one ever found out because as soon as they were done, they left. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So I, no can I ever... can I tell a reverse? Can I tell a reverse story? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought I could have sworn in my head that was pinball, Mike. But that again, yeah, you're right. It was Argos. You're right. So, and when Mike said Mike Weir, this is this reminded me of my Mike Mike Weir story, which ironically enough, tw- coming on 20 years of, uh, since he won the Masters. About three or four months before he wins the Masters, his his PR people, and just for people listening, this happens a lot. They called us and they said, hey, guys, um, Mike Weir is going to be releasing his new clothing line. Would you like an interview with Mike Weir? And I remember it was Dave Cadeau, one of the producers who went on to be, you know, the PD. And he kind of puts his hand over the phone. It's like, does anybody want Mike Weir in like three months? And it was one of those like, uh, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Anyways, Cadeau said, Okay, we'll take him. We'll take Mike Weir. And it was for the Monday after the Masters. So he goes out and wins the Masters. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is a an interview that was booked three, four months in advance. Like you're thinking this is the, the most fortunate booking in history. Mm-hmm. Five o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from Dave Cadeau. He's like, they're trying to yank the interview. They're trying to say, no, 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 he's too busy now. And I'm telling them, no, we had this booked four months ago. He goes, you have a cell phone, right? This is back when we didn't know. It was not everybody had cell phones. You have a cell phone, right? I said, yeah. He goes, head down to the mall because that's where he's releasing his new thing. We need Mike Weir on our airwaves by the end of the day. So he won in 03. I've been doing this less than a year. So I am officially pissing my pants at this point because I have to go chase Mike Weir all (laughs) around a mall to make sure he gets on. And every time his PR guy's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, we had it booked. Blah, blah, blah. So we were supposed to get him on at 10 a.m. It's four o'clock. We still don't have him on. And I'm chasing him like his PR. I thought they were going to kill me. So finally, his PR guy goes, okay, come with me, Rob. And he brings me into this room all by myself. I'm like, they're so sick of me. They're locking me in a room. I can't believe this. <laughs> Next thing you know, in comes Mike Weir wearing the green jacket. And he's like, hey, I said, hi. Congratulations. So he sits down and there's a phone there. And his his guy goes, okay, you're going to do an interview with Bob McCowan. And Weir goes, it's been a long day. Can I get a beer? He goes, yep, we'll get you a beer. He comes back in with a six pack and puts it in between me and Mike Weir. And he leaves. And Weir goes, you want a beer? And I was so nervous and so exhausted. And I, <laughs> it was the biggest regret of my life. I was like, ah, oh, thanks, but I'm working. And now at age 43, I'm like, how did you not have a beer with the Masters winner less than 24 hours after he did it? But he went on with McCowan, and I've never felt a sense of relief in my life. And that's a story that a lot of listeners, they could have been listening to the fan all day, had no idea. Hey, look, they got Mike Weir. Meanwhile, there's some guy who's less than a year in the industry running around a mall pulling on his coattails, (laughs) trying to get it, and didn't even have a beer with him. And and all these years later, one of my big regrets, why didn't I just crack a beer and give him a cheers? But yeah, mm-hmm. that's 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 what you do to get a guest on the air. And he was on with McCowan for 10 minutes. And then that was my day. That was my whole there you day. Go. Rimmer, you must have some stories of getting guys. Oh. Well, I got one. This is probably the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to me. And it happened to me right before I came to the fan. It was at Fox Sports. Uh, this was my first time producing. And uh, Ken Griffey Jr. just signed with the Cincinnati Reds. And my host at the time, uh, I can't remember his name now, uh, Steve, uh, I can't remember, Steve Mason. He's uh, He does radio in LA. He's like, I want you to get Jim Bowden on the show to talk about Ken Griffey Jr. coming to Cincinnati. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, like I'd just been producing for a couple months and I asked and uh, they had a bullpen there too in uh, Los Angeles. I'm like, uh, does anyone have uh, Jim Bowden's number? Uh, one of the producers says, yeah, I got it. Here you go. He gave it to me. And I called Jim. I'm like, hey, Jim, love to get you uh, on Steve Mason's show. Talk about Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, coming to Cincinnati. And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Well, he comes on the air. And uh, Steve's asking him, uh, you know, what's Ken Griffey Jr. going to bring to Cincinnati? And 
the uh, gym is like, oh, uh, he's going to increase hot dog sales. And and the interview just went totally off the rails. Come to find out it wasn't Jim Bowden. It was Jim Bowden, the former oh, pitcher wow. with the New York Yankees, <laughs> faking to be Jim Bowden on the radio. Oh, and my host is like, what the hell's going on here? And – <laughs> How'd you so get out scared. of that one? Is that why you left uh, the fans? That was that it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I'll tell you what, I never asked anyone for another phone number because I don't know, I, to this day, I still don't know if the producer did that on purpose oh, or what, God. because I specifically asked for the GM of the Cincinnati Reds and <sighs> it was pretty embarrassing. And I uh, remember my, it out right away. I remember like, I my, I was chipped out. I had a, a trio of guys who I remember getting on the air there that still to me were, were the three biggest guests I ever got. One was Steinbrenner when we had Steinbrenner on with McCowan and it was exactly the same kind of story uh, like your Patrick Waugh story Gentilly where I had called down to the uh, Yankees spring training facility at lunchtime one day and I think I got I got some guy who answered the phone. I think I got like the fill-in lunchtime receptionist and I, I said I was looking for uh, George Steinbrenner and they go oh, he's not here right now. Can I take a message? And I said yeah I just want to get him on uh, the fan radio up in Toronto here to talk about Paul Beeston because I think Beeston was leaving the Jays at that time to go to the league. He's like, okay, I'll give him the message. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, sure enough, at like 405 or whatever, I get a call on these Chris Clark. Yeah. Uh, George Steinbrenner here. And I'm like, uh, uh, and I never told McCown a thing, right? Because sometimes you just don't tell them when you don't think, like, if it's a pipe dream, you're not going to give them any. Well, they get their hopes up and then they keep asking yeah. you. Exactly. Then they keep bugging you. So, anyway, I just buzzed into McCown. <laughs> Tilly's face there was like, exactly. Just, he knows like, exactly oh, what I'm talking about. Oh, no, I can't. Exactly. You just don't mention it. So, I said, Mike I said Hogan asking for if, hey, is George Bush coming on today? No. <laughs> exactly. So, I said to McCown, hey, George Steinbrenner's on, on the line. He's coming on to talk about Beast. And McCowan didn't believe me. And he went on the air and actually said, because he was taking calls, he said, Who's on the who's on the phone now? And the guy goes, It's uh George Steinbrenner. Right? Like it was a very awkward start to the interview. Anyway, Bob did the interview. Uh the second was getting Lennox Lewis in studio, which I thought was cool. I, I didn't think Lennox was showing up. Um, I had called him and he said, yeah, I'll be there. And then I called him again at like 4.30 because McCown was like, better make sure he comes. I'm like, yeah. So I called him and he goes, you don't think I'm coming, do you? I'm like, no, no, I just, I always confirm all the guests. He goes, I'll be there. And sure enough, he was there. And then the last one, I'm going to say the name and see if you guys have any idea who he is. Harold Mush March. Name ring a bell? No. So when I did a show, um, for the closing of Maple Leaf Gardens um, with Hogan. I'm pretty sure he voiced it. Uh, we went out and we did a whole bunch of inter interviews that day or for over a course of a month. Harold Mush March scored the very first goal at Maple Leaf Gardens and he was still alive. He was 90 something years old. Mm -hmm. I got a hold of his son. His son said he's in a home. He can talk, but it's not very good. Um, but I will go to the home and I will put him on the phone. So all the only clip we used was him saying, I scored the first goal at Maple Leaf Gardens, you know? <laughs> and there was gold. It was like goosebumps. Wow. It was unbelievable to get the guy who scored the very first goal at Maple Leaf Gardens. And that was 1999 and what it opened in 31. So mm -hmm. he was an old guy and uh, it was just something that really stuck with me. Before we let you guys, are you guys good for another five minutes or so? Are you good? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, Pizzo, any fun stories that you remember? Yeah. You know, there's one, <laughs> there's one story that I've told this story so many times. So <laughs> at one point in my, my time at the fan, one of my jobs was when we had a new intern, they kind of just said, Pizzo, we got a new intern, show him the ropes, you know, the, you, you know, bring him in, show him where to go, what he's got to do, blah, blah, blah. So one day I get, you know, the tap on the shoulder, Pizzo, we got a new intern. He's going to be at the elevators at nine o'clock, meet him and show him the ropes. I'm like, okay. So I go, I'm waiting outside the elevator and the elevator opens up and it's this young kid dressed to the nines. I mean, a hmm. full suit, briefcase? like perfect, yeah, no briefcase, but perfect <laughs> suit, shoes shine like mirrors, like just, he was ready to go. So I kind of go, okay, come on in. 
I kind of joke with him. I go, you know, in in the future, T-shirt and jeans is fine. It's an all-sports radio station. We come into what we call the bullpen, all the producers. Two minutes in, everyone, Chantilly, everyone's like, look at this guy. Hey, you don't need to dress like this for an all-sports radio station. So this kid's been here five minutes. He's already getting ragged on. Everyone kind of scatters. It's me and him in this room. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and we look over, and it's Bobby Orr. And Bobby Orr says, hey, guys, I got an interview. Where's the, the, the studio? But he's looking right at the intern. And the intern just froze, just goes. <laughs> and I had to jump in. I go, uh, Mr. Orr, just go down down this way, turn left. It's right there. He's like, okay. And then the kid's like, I can't believe I just met Bobby Orr. I'm like, well, you kind of didn't. Like, you didn't say a word. <laughs> he asked you a question. You didn't say anything. So this kid's get, day is going great. Interview ends. Bobby Orr comes back, comes in the room just to say thank you for showing us. He looks at me and goes, oh, thanks for telling me where the uh, the studio is. I go, no problem, Mr. Orr. Like, I'm a hockey fan, too. I'm excited. This is Bobby Orr. And he looks over at the kid. He goes, what's this kid? An intern doesn't know how to dress for an all-sports radio station. <laughs> so <laughs> in a matter of 30 minutes, and I don't know the kid's name. I, I don't even remember for a million bucks. Oh, in man. 30 minutes, he got made fun of by me, got made fun of by all the producers, got just tongue-tied in front of Bobby Orr and then mocked by Bobby Orr and he left. <laughs> and this is by about 9.45 in the morning. Uh, every time I back. tell that story, probably I don't know who he is to this day, but <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And I like just retire right there, kid. And then I said to him, I had to say it, I'm like, by the way, the Bobby Orrs of the world aren't just always, like this is not a regular day where they're just yeah, yeah. strolling in saying, hey, where's the radio studio? Like he must have thought this is the greatest place on earth, but mm -hmm. the next day he showed up in a t-shirt and jeans. Rimmer, what about you? You never had any fun, eh? Uh... <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> fun moments, fun moments that you remember. Fun moments. If you don't, it's, it's, um, it's okay. We can edit this part out. I mean, okay. probably when uh, I think it was pretty cool. I, I think we all had a good time when uh, the guy from Seinfeld came in the the soup Nazi. You guys, I was just that? that was one of my stories. You remember that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I saw the picture somewhere, but I think all of us were uh, were like over the moon because I mean, who wasn't a Seinfeld fan? I, I remember you even gushing, Gentilly that day when he was there, like everyone was like, Oh my God, it's a soup Nazi. Everyone was so excited to see him. And I think that was well, a he pretty walked in and goes, hi, I'm Brian. I was alone in the bullpen. <laughs> so he signed a thing for me. He leaves. I tell everyone the soup Nazi, and no one believed me <laughs> until he came back. He did the other stations came back in. I'm like, see, he was just here. He signed my, uh... wow. <laughs> that's funny. He was in there. Uh, Uncle Leo. Oh my God. Unc oh, Uncle, Uncle Leo. Uncle yeah. Leo. Uncle Leo. Yeah, Emergis was involved with Uncle Leo, wasn't it? Did you ever hear how it turned into a Seinfeld episode? No. No. Okay, what's the name of the hotel? Stage West? Mm -hmm. The one on uh, Eglinton and Dixie yeah. there where they have like a theater? So Uncle yeah. Leo was performing there. Yeah. So he comes in, he does Gord's show, and then he gave us all tickets to go to see him in this play. It was like a, like a beautiful... like Right. A, so we all show up, and Mike Demergis is there. Yeah. And he brings a date. I don't know if it was his girlfriend or wh whoever he was with. So they come over and say hello. So I shake Mike's hand. Hey, Demerge, how you doing? She comes over and I do, and Pizzo will confirm. What do you do? A kiss on the cheek. <laughs> when, when, when you, right? You meet like a female. What? And the Demerge is like, you kissed her. I'm like, no, I didn't kiss her. He's like, why would you kiss my girlfriend? I go, that's like saying hi. It's a cheek. There was no lip contact. He's like, I can't believe I brought a girl here and you kissed her in front of everybody. So we're arguing about whether it was a kiss or not. And Uncle Leo's there. He heard this? He's there. Okay. Now he goes, does the play. The play's over, and Uncle Leo's like, hey, can you guys hang around? Let's order some food. And we stayed in the hotel lobby and all ordered food and kind of hung around with Uncle Leo. Like, mm -hmm. unbelievable. Yeah. So this whole thing is happening that I kiss this girl or not. And then I go to get a slice of pizza and like a pepperoni slides right off the pizza and lands on Uncle Leo's lap. But it was hot. So he's like, oh, my God. 
So I'm like, oh my God, Uncle Leo, hold on. So now I'm in there. I'm trying to take it off, but it landed like on his crotch. Oh, geez. So I have like a napkin and I'm like trying to clean it. I'm oh, sorry, Uncle Leo. I didn't mean to do that. Then the person, you almost killed Uncle Leo. First he kissed my girlfriend. The whole the whole night went off, just went off the rails. Oh my God. I couldn't believe it. He was the nicest guy. Like we had to tell him like it's uh, time to go home. Like we got to leave. He would have had us there all night. He was just the nicest guy. Oh, my God. You know, Clark, Clarky, it's funny. When you were talking earlier about your pinball story and our memories all getting jogged and all these years melted together, I remember what the pinball story is right now. Mm-hmm. I remember you come running in, and I think it was a situation where we didn't think we were getting pinball Clemens, but we got pinball Clemens, and you said, Robbie's going to be late. Go downstairs and meet him and park his car. Now, I, you guys all know I'm not a tall guy, okay? I'm five foot eight. And I remember seeing him, and, and you know Mike Pinball Clemens, the nicest guy. Hey, man, how's it going? You know, he says, like, he just he's the nicest oh, guy. He tosses yeah. me his keys. Oh, yeah. And he tosses me his keys. And you know when you're driving someone else's car, you don't want to adjust their seats? He had his seat pumped up so much that my, like, I was, like, <laughs> down, like, <laughs> And I'm like, I don't want to adjust Mike Pinball Club and see that. I'm like, okay. And people must have saw me. And I'm going to the underground parking, and the, the steering wheel was higher than my like. It was ridiculous. And then I was just like, here he goes, like, thanks, man, thanks for parking my car. And I was just like, yeah, all right. But I didn't want to. Tell you. It was the most dangerous driving I've ever done because my neck oh was basically God. hitting the ceiling. Oh, Mike, we've got a million of these damn stories. My God, they all just keep coming. We're going to think of all of these stories as soon as we're done. We need a part two. Okay, the last one I want you to talk about, Rob, is my favorite of all time. Oh, I hate this best story. I know where you're going with this. The best, like, go ahead. Tell You you probably remember it a little bit. Yeah, you you tell this story a lot better than I do, so jump in if I'm making a mistake. But there was a show called The Junior Hockey Magazine, and I think everybody on this show worked on it, right? Like did Rimmer, Rimmer, you work on it? No, I didn't think uh, that was did. Yeah, Everyone else it was, did. I did for it's years. A, it, yeah. yeah, it's like a rite of passage. You produce this yeah. show. Yeah. They give you about 50 cents for a month's work. Uh, and you, you learn how to produce. If you're lucky. And if you you're lucky. 50 cents, yeah. Clarky was the producer. Gino Retta was the host. And they like to break the balls of the new producer. So Clarky came up to me and one day he goes, uh, you know, oh no, excuse me. Gino came up to me one day. He goes, let's play a joke on Clarky. He goes, I'm going to pretend that I'm leaving TSN and you got to say that you're leaking it to the press. So I was so happy that, you know, Gino Retta, one of the guys I looked up to was like involving me in the prank. Little did I know these two bastards were doing the prank on me. Yeah. So then I told Clarky, Hey Clarky, I accidentally told Chris Zelkovich of the Toronto star that, that Gino's leaving TSN. And Clark, he goes, oh, my God, I got to go. And he hangs up the phone. So I'm like, oh, no, the joke went off the rails here. And Clark, he's going to call Gino Red and, and, and calls Chris Selkovich. Yeah, and I think I said, I got to call Chris and tell him. it's Yeah. Hangs up the phone. So I'm panicking because I'm thinking I just put out a rumor there that some big name is leaving TSN. I must have called Chris Clark's phone. Oh, it rang and rang and 50 rang times. and rang. And, <laughs> and him, rang and rang. little did I know on the other end, him and Gino are just sitting at a restaurant watching the phone ring over and over and over again. <laughs> this poor bastard's on the other side going, I'm going to be fired today. Like, oh, yeah. my job is over today. Uh, <laughs> and I would found out to, to later on, I think it was Eric Smith that said to me, oh, yeah, did they try breaking your balls with some sort of prank? I'm like, yeah, yeah the they gave me one. a friggin' oh. heart attack. That was the best one because you thought you were you had a step up on it, but yeah. I well, I just thought like it was so like you know you're new. Yeah, you're yeah like, oh, these guys info. are involving me on the prank. You know what I exactly. mean? Like this, I'm part of the prank, and meanwhile, I'm the sucker <laughs> in the prank. And it, when you ask me to come on the pod, yeah, and you say, "Oh, we got to tell the story about the the prank," I'm like, oh man, like my stomach right now is in knots again, just thinking about hitting redial on your phone over and over again. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was. Hey, uh, speaking of readout, Pizzo, do you remember when you left your phone at work one night? Oh, and, and you guys called calling it 700 times. So we wanted, we kept calling Rob's phone because we wanted, because it kept saying two missed calls, 
three missed calls. You're like, okay. Let's they see. wanted to make it 590 missed calls. No, for no, the, you know what we ended up doing? No, it was the year that Barry Bonds was going for the home run record. So I think we wanted to get it to like 70 home runs or 70 calls. So we literally would all like orchestrate. So you would you would, somebody would call, you'd hear Rob's voice, whether the next person would call. <laughs> and we called it so many times there's like no battery left. And I think it was like 73 missed calls. And we just wanted yeah. to see your reaction. Because you're like, guys, anyone see my phone? I left my phone here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh but, but that's you know what? That's one of the things again that people don't necessarily know. You know, I, I remember when I got my scholarship to go there, my teacher, mm-hmm. my radio teacher at the time, a guy named Ron Tufts, he took me aside and he said, Rob, you're going to an all-sports radio station. You're going to hear them all debating sports. You're going to want to jump in on every conversation. Don't. You kind of have to earn that that little bit of keep to be like, okay, I can give my opinions. <laughs> but once you're in, it was like a clubhouse. Like, I, honest to God, it's it, it was. was so much fun just being there because, and we, mm. we had this strange kind of setup where we all faced away from each other in like a square. <laughs> but as soon as somebody said something, everyone would spin their chair around and be like, you're absolutely insane. And we would just argue over mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gretzky or, or, you know, like who's Babe Ruth or, you know, Mickey Mantle. It was just, just nonstop debates and fun and laughter and, it was just like a big clubhouse. And I know people only heard the other end of it where, you know, we're putting guests on and doing interviews and everything else. But I used to love, that's what I loved the most about that place was just, and, and you know, what killed it? What killed a lot of that is well, COVID fast forwarded everything, but what killed it was online made it possible to produce from home. So you yeah. used to not start your shift mm-hmm. till you got to work. So mm-hmm. if you got to work an hour late, you you're working an hour less to get your show done. So you yeah. fly into work and you hope you see that little red light on your phone. So there's a message that means at least I have one guest booked for today <laughs> and you work all day, finish your show and go home. Once, once computers and everything else came about, you, you're texting, you don't have to be at the office as much. Even before COVID people started coming into the office less than once COVID started, they were home. And now there's like in the modern way of it, it's just different. It's just not as much, ships crossing it's a there's there's a show that's next that's on deck and the show that's currently on the air and then they cross over mm. but you're not all like like we never have a situation with like four or five producers there anymore mm-hmm. it's just changed because now you don't yep. you don't have to be there we only went there because you had to like there was no choice yeah it has changed for sure no question about it guys we are out of time i hope as all our listeners and, and viewers got as much enjoyment out of this as i did rob pizzo you're with cbc sports now what do you what are you up I to am. on a daily basis? What's your daily basis? Uh, oh man, I'm doing a lot of like long form, you know, small, uh, shorter form docs. Excuse me. Yep. Uh, so you know, I did a series called "I Was in Net for where I took famous goalies who mm. were in net for famous goals and interviewed them about it. I'm doing something mm. now called "Unknown History." The most recent one is all about the 2002 women's gold medal game, Canada and the U.S. and the whole, hey, they had our flag on the floor, and now I want to know if they want us to sign it and whether or not that actually happened and where that came from mm. and and stuff like that. Obviously, we're always geared toward the Olympics. And mm-hmm. I also host uh, co-host a podcast for The Athletic every Wednesday as well, a hockey podcast. So nice. keeping busy, but always always got time for you, Clarky. Thank you. And Rimmer, tell us, uh, tell us about, tell us. <laughs> are you selling? What are you doing there? Uh, just a uh, small business, B2B. Okay. Uh, for cell phones, security, and uh, Business Connect. But uh, th- that's my full-time gig. But uh, if I could promote it, uh, mm-hmm, we have a sure. big fight coming up in Burbank, California. Lights Out Extreme Fighting on May the 6th. Uh, it'll be on Fubo, uh, Fubo Sports TV. You can download it for free. And uh, that's going to be a big event coming up. Uh, I believe there's 12 fights it's going to be earlier starting at three o'clock because i think there's a big ufc fight that night as well hmm. uh you can always invite me to help, go help by the way yeah like if you need you someone if you, if you need someone to go with you i'm your guy your dad's yeah. been on the show jeff rimmer um the voice of the columbus blue jackets i guess he's getting ready for Connor bedard next year yep. uh gearing up for that gentilly thank you you're still with the fan 
Um, we're back with the fan, I guess. Back uh, at the fan. It was what's a it called? Drive time episodes. podcast or something? It's a, it's a podcast, right? Or so the afternoon show. We're fighting off with Ben Ennis, who um, mm. is someone that that we knew when he was young, starting there as well. So I produced that show five to seven, and then I've been doing some on air stuff as well. Just started that in the right. last six months or so. So I'm usually on Sportsnet tonight or something like that in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's been fun. It's been really good. That's like a yeah. story story for another day. No, no, for sure. I, and I, I, like Pisa will tell you like what it like what it took to go from a producer to getting on a microphone, and how it's evolved and changed, and what's good about it, what's bad. There's like. It's like uh, a whole other episode that's worth discussing. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And that wraps up another edition of Instigating with Clarkie and Jury. Ryan will return from the Dominican next week, I am sure. And we'll have some fun next week talking sports once again. You can watch the show every Friday, 8 p.m. on Whiteman TV Channel 6. It debuts on our YouTube channel at 9 o'clock on Friday nights. Please subscribe. You can catch us on the socials as well, Instagram and Twitter, at Pod. Until next week, Chris Clark, see you later.